0: Now that we're friends Here is an album you would like Here is a book you would like I think you'd like my cat and also my dog Because we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Hello, and welcome to Now That We're
1: Friends, the podcast that takes your life questions
2: and gives you homework. I'm Caroline.
1: I'm Gail. I'm Anne.
2: And I'm Lisanne, the producer. Each episode, we tackle questions sent in by friends and listeners on how to deal with a problem by giving our arts recommendations to help. We are so glad you're back with us after two years of hiatus. How's everybody doing?
0: And you are coalescing from an illness. (laughs) Yes. That's how how people say it these days, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Coalescing. I think I've actually used that phrase a few times in the past few days just because it sounds very Victorian and dramatic. Yes, I got a cold and a sinus infection that kind of laid me out for a week. I mean, thank God it wasn't COVID, of course, but it was the... First illness that i've had <laughs> since 2020 which makes mm-hmm. me very lucky but it also you know it sucked but yeah, i yeah, am back back in action and i don't know i think i was saying before this i watched a lot of Grey's anatomy while i was sort of at my most foggiest because mm-hmm. it's something like easy to watch, and man, that show is just ridiculous. <laughs> I really what,
0: what what level of ridiculousness were you at? Were you like <laughs> season eight ridiculous or season sixteen ridiculous?
1: I started at the very beginning, which the very best very place, place to start. <laughs> to start. <laughs> Thank you, uh, <laughs> Julie Andrews. Yeah, so you know the old. Meredith, Derek, Will They, Won't They, everybody's having sex with each other. There's, like, nobody left at the hospital who hasn't had sex. It's ridiculous. Anyway, you all know. It's unsanitary, truly. Yeah. (laughs) Not a lot of doctoring going on. Mm. (laughs) Wash your hands. (laughs) Ah. Actually, there's a lot of doctoring going on, but in just the most ludicrous situations, like, you know, Coach Taylor who has to come in and defuse a bomb. And (laughs) defuse a bomb from somebody's chest.
2: There's just. Oh, yeah.
1: It's just, you know.
2: He wasn't even Coach Taylor to me then. He was the guy from Early Edition Mm -hmm. when I saw him on that episode.
1: It was was before Friday Night Lights, wasn't it?
2: Pre-Friday Night Lights, I believe so. But I loved that show early edition. Do you guys it's remember that?
0: Oh yeah. No.
2: So that guy whose name is escaping me at the moment, but Coach Taylor, we can call him Jared um, George, Jordan Armour. He, he has a name I know, but Coach Taylor. A
0: name.
2: <laughs> no, he has a name that I know, but I can't think about it. I can't think about it. <laughs> I don't want
1: to. <laughs> we need to talk about Coach Taylor. <laughs>
2: Coach Taylor played a guy who got the newspaper a day early. And then if like bad things were in the newspaper, oh, he had a trusty cat sidekick who was so really was... just his pet cat. I was just gonna but... bring out the cat. <laughs> <laughs> he he got the newspaper a day early and then had a chance to like avert disasters and like it would change in real time. So he could see like the headline like go away. But sometimes he would like make things worse and like sometimes he'd have to like it was it was I loved it. Very nineties.
0: There's some sort of a lady there too. Um, I really
2: just remember Coach Taylor.
0: No, there was some sort of famous lady. Maybe it was Maura Tierney from ER.
2: Maybe, and I think his name is just Coach Eric Taylor. I don't think Eric is his name in real life.
0: That's <laughs> why so I was basically right, so still everybody. calling him Coach Taylor. Just Coach Kyle Taylor Chand- all the way down. Kyle. Kyle, Kyle Chandler. Chandler. <laughs> and some other people. Not really anybody famous anymore.
2: All right, we've talked about a lot of things that are not yeah. recommendations for anybody.
1: That's true. I mean, they're
2: they maybe are they for are a couple
1: people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ann you can just cut all of oh. that <laughs> out. It it's perfect.
0: Um, I am in South Carolina. Oh. Um, preparing to coalesce. Um, coalesce. Yeah. Covalesce
2: convalesce I'm not
0: coalescing I'm (laughs) convalescing I could be coalescing
1: Um, I'm preparing to convalesce
2: this is where Gail really gets everything together
1: (laughs) that makes me worried that I was saying coalescing instead of convalescing
2: I don't think (laughs) now I can't remember but okay who can say (laughs) who can can say I don't know I will Um, in in a couple weeks
1: so Gail tell us about your future convalescence I
0: will (laughs) coalesce it.
1: I am receiving
0: (laughs) surgery of the eye tomorrow. Um, (laughs) I'm getting my eyes yanked out, which is what I keep saying. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm getting my eyes um, lasically contoured underneath a flap, which is what I've learned. That's what they (laughs) call it. Um, and I spend so much time like thinking that it wasn't a big deal and being like, oh yeah, it's, it's not, it's fine. Just like quick, quick surgery that then like you actually say yes to the surgery. LASIK by the way is what this is. Um, and <laughs> is that,
2: it's short it's for LASIK repaired surgery. under the flap. <laughs> yeah. I've never, has,
1: la- I've never heard. I've never heard. What is that? The adverb of LASIK, which is LASIK. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. If I had the LASIK. Um
0: but uh anyway, they I like once I said yes to the surgery, they were like, okay, great. Now here are all the really important things you do so you don't go blind. And there are a lot of things. And I also, like I was saying today, like I I am first of all, so glad to not have to wear glasses anymore. I have felt 10 years old for the past three weeks, which is how long I've been wearing these glasses. Cause now my contacts just don't, first of all, I have to like wear glasses to prepare for the surgery, but then also, um, as of about three weeks ago, my contacts just stopped working. So now I'm just wearing my glasses for real. And I have never felt more pre-adolescent, um, than, than in these glasses. And even at work, um, I said something like, oh yeah, I got blah, 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 glasses, surgery. And then my friend at work goes, they're really cute glasses. They are a little thick. <laughs> it's like, let's well, because I'm very blind. <laughs> um, but not so, for and long? And then like, I don't know, just feel – yeah, hopefully hopefully not for long. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm um, getting my surgery done here and ho- I just come ready for it to be over with really just so I know what side effects I'm dealing with because you don't really know what is going to happen until it happens. Yeah. Um, what
2: what so flavor like, what of coalescing? <laughs>
0: Right. I mean, like it's like it's done and it's like, oh, do you need like 48 hours of rest and darkness or do you have to like not see the sun for a week or never? Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's just kind of trying to figure out how that's going to work. But um, it seems like my mom is thrilled to take care of me. Um, Oh, I bet. And I am.
2: Moms love doing that.
0: Yeah. Um and I am I don't say I'm not thrilled, but it is a strange experience to have to be like, "Hey, so I need like help." Yeah. Could you help me? <laughs> yeah. And like I've, really that's all like I can't I can't do anything but receive help, <laughs> which is crazy.
2: So on the flip side of that, I have a child who needs constant help because she's like not quite a year. Sure. But is in a phase right now where she thinks she doesn't need help with anything and is in fact like sometimes frustrated with me for trying to, you know, help her with anything. She like physically removes my hand. She'll like move my hand over and stuff. Um, And today has been a day of her just like she's teething. So she's had some, some meltdowns over me like keeping her from danger or like trying to help her stand up and you know stuff that she doesn't do that well on her own yet yeah
0: my sister was just talking about how she really wanted my nephew to uh not run and play in the in the parking lot
2: Um, yeah that's
0: when all the other toddlers are just like sitting normally and quietly and just being like (laughs) cute little toddlers and like Wyatt just like wants to launch himself into the parking lot for fun and he was very upset that he was not able to do so
2: yeah I just I feel like Child, you still poop in your diaper, and I still have to like clean that up for you. Like, there's, I want you to be as independent as you can be, but like, it's pretty limited at line. the moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, get real, kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get, get,
2: get real, loser. It's. A, I want to be
1: clear. I've yeah, no, loser. I love She's still so like mashing her face into her high chair to eat her food. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's not get ahead of yeah. ourselves. Exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: I myself have been out of a diaper for quite some time. That's true. <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> um,
2: I actually think this kind of sigs nicely into our question for today. <gasps> How'd that happen? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's listen to it.
1: Hi, friends. My name is Vicki, and my question is now that the holidays have passed, I've noticed I don't really have an adult relationship with my parents, and I was wondering on what y'all's advice is on how to transition from a child to adult relationship with parents. Um, Thanks, and I can't wait for my prescription.
2: I like that she said prescription because it sounds like she's also convalescing.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Aren't we always?
1: Or coalescing.
2: Coalescing. <laughs> yeah, that's a toughie one.
1: An excellent and very large question, Vicki. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Love it.
2: hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah, with lots of little layers and bubbles and contexts and decisions and people.
2: Peace yeah. out. <laughs> I know normally we kind of talk about the question before we get to our recommendations. I think that this is such a challenging thing for both parties, and that's like what I kept coming back to. I was uh, as I was thinking of my recommendations, or that like you both have to get to the point of seeing each other as like a full being, and not you know. You have to see your parents as not just your parents and your parents have to see you as not just their child. And you can only control your side of that. You can't make them ready to see you as not their child anymore. Or, I mean, not, not that you're not their child, but not just their child as like a fully f- fledged adult. So that I think I just kept coming back to like, that's what makes this so tricky is that as with any relationship, like there's only so much you can do on your end And the power dynamic has always been so weighted in their direction just out of necessity that you kind of have to like do your best to do your part of that relationship and try to find some grace for your parents if you can (laughs) while they work it out.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Summed up all my recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about all of the different – categories of this question which you know like you said there's like the acceptance and forgiveness part of it there's the setting boundaries part of it which is huge I think um and yeah it's it's that constant grappling with the past is always there no matter what so it's so easy to fall into the same patterns and those same dynamics as when mm-hmm. you were a kid. And yeah, I like what you said, Caroline, about, you know, you can only control <laughs> your side of it. But you can sort of, by modeling that behavior, which is a very adult thing to do, to model good mm-hmm. behavior, you can maybe, you know, find find common ground. And that's another Mm -hmm. big aspect in some of the recommendations that, that I found, you know, that sort of finding common ground is the really tricky part. Yeah. Um, Those are, that's (sighs) what
0: I was thinking. (laughs) Yep. Good job.
2: Do we, are we ready to dive into some recommendations? Yeah. I also think, can I say
0: one thing? Um,
2: This might be controversial.
0: But one thing I've also so like the, I have several kind of like moving thoughts on this that both of you have gone through that like it is in the end to me. Well, I, my kind of phrase it a little bit differently, but the final thing I kind of got to is that like there is also a moment where like, yes, we have boundaries. Yes, it's up to the parents. Yes, we have to like have this decision or at least trying to kind of come at this with uh, a new found, like a new lens on. I don't know, your relationship through being an adult. But I think part of it is also recognizing that, like, you did come from your parents. And, like, there is going to be this thing that they can't get rid of because they literally, like, you're their kid. And, like, as much as you want them to do some stuff and they want you, like, even if both of you want this adult relationship, I feel like there's always, like, not that maybe there's always, but there is at least this possibility that, you're always still going to be their kid. For, and it's it's a, then your job to kind of figure out how to make that a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or how to how to kind of look at it positively. Yeah. But like that's something where like maybe Caroline as a new parent can think about of like in yeah. the end, that kid can grow up and be a doctor and a surgeon and drive her own airplane to and fro. <laughs> but also she has cleaned up her poopy diapers and there's really yeah. nothing that's going to change
1: that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I also think – And I don't know that I have a recommendation tied to this, so I'll just go ahead and say it now. But I think when I thought about this question, you know, at earlier phases in my life before I had a child, I don't think I had as much room for grace for my own parents. But having a child does a number on your identity and like, you know, my My daughter's about to be a year old, and I would say, like, I'm just now kind of, like, getting to kind of come to grips with, like, what parts of old Caroline, like, are still around, you know? And, like, because, like, at the beginning, like, your whole world is, like, obliterated, and, like, all you have space to do is be mom, And for a long time, it feels like the person where you were before is totally gone. And then that starts to come back in little bits and you start to get back to like, what feels like somewhat of a normal life, but you're still just like so thoroughly changed by the responsibility and the weight and just your whole focus having shifted. And... At some point, like I know, you know, I already see, like I kind of joked about it earlier, but like since she was like, I don't know, since she first spent her night in her crib, in her own room, like they're all like when, when your child is born, they rely on you for absolutely everything. And then in little ways, even in the first year, they become more independent and more independent. And it's like this constant, like figuring out how to be excited to watch them blossom and like be like their advocate in that independence. And I can only imagine that that continues to be trickier and trickier as they grow. And then like that final, like, Oh my God, they're an adult. Then I think there is probably I'm imagining another identity shift of like, well, now who am I in this phase of my life? So I think the same way you, you know, growing into your adulthood have like all these shifts, all these just, Keep in mind that you like your mom or your dad, who probably seem like a very static person to you at this point, like they're very established in who they are, they're not. They're going through a major transition too. And maybe for the first time since you were born, they are really focusing in on like what what do they get to be without you as their like primary focus. And it's hard. I can imagine it's hard and exciting.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. That was really beautifully said, Caroline. And Thanks. as I was thinking through I mean, I made a huge document of recommendations, but just kind of pared them down, but as I was thinking about movies and TV shows and books and novels and and poems it This this theme of conflict between parent and child is just it's everywhere and and it and Mm -hmm. it makes sense. But one of those the biggest threads that I that I noticed was this idea of like misunderstood identity or children grappling like adult children grappling with mistakes that their parents made. And when those mistakes happened and and realizing we are all full flawed people and how much do we try to understand, how much do we question, how much do we argue, how much do we, like you said, extend grace and forgive because you could, you know, uncover something about your, your parent as an adult that could shed light on reasons why something shitty happened. And, um, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that this is such a well covered <laughs> topic in, in the things that we consume. Right. Um, yeah, I guess if it's okay, <laughs> I will launch it. into <laughs> a recommendation, which is a podcast called heavyweight that i think can deal and and has dealt with this this question of not just grappling with how to have an adult relationship with your parents but how to have an adult relationship with a lot of people in your life who you've either lost touch with um so if Vicky, you're not familiar with Heavyweight. Um, it's a podcast hosted by Jonathan Goldstein, who is a reporter. He used to be um, on This American Life. He's funny. And essentially, each episode, he helps one person, the featured guest, try to find closure um, to an unresolved question in their lives. And it often involves tracking down someone from the person's past who can shed light on the issue. And as you can imagine, this pretty much results in a lot of conversations, like I said, between adults grappling with estranged parents or other relatives, childhood friends, learning how to speak to one another as adults for the first time. And there are so many episodes I started to write down that deal specifically with children talking to their parents and trying to either confront them about something or just try to understand something better. But the one I I really recommend and that I re-listened to recently is the one actually where Jonathan Goldstein um, interviews his own mother. And it is an episode called Dina. It's episode 15. So... Jonathan is a new dad and he and his wife and his son are staying with his parents for about a week. And during this time, so the episode just sort of chronicles his time with his parents. And Jonathan really wants to talk to his mother about his childhood because he's realized that as an adult and as a as a new parent, all of these traits have come out that he's starting to realize were traits that he saw in his in his mom specifically when, when he was growing up and especially around like anxiety and fear and he's just trying to get perspective and throughout the episode you just hear them kind of joking and bickering and grappling with how to talk to each other as adults. But it gets to this really difficult, point where his mom keeps alluding to something that happened to Jonathan as a child that she's just so ashamed about as a mother but she keeps telling him to turn the recorder off she refuses to talk about it and you just hear them repeating these patterns over and over again and it's such an interesting and and funny and painful look into parent and son trying to learn how to talk to each other there's just this constant attempt to reconcile the past with the present and they're falling into these dynamics and it's it's so beautiful right and i mean not to give too much away but essentially his mom just feels guilty about things that she regrets and just sort of like lays it out to him she lays it out to him off the recorder. That's sort of their deal. And a lot of it is just small things that she's held on to that that he says he doesn't remember. And it's just this reminder, right, that you annoy each other, right, as like parent and child, but there are these dynamics that you can't quite get out of because that power dynamic is always going to be there, right? So it's a really beautiful look at what breaks open during this during this episode which is that she's just she just feels so ashamed that she made mistakes as a mother that she feels like she can't ever she's just like reliving that loop and so that's why she's so anxious and that's why she does the things that she does and when they come to that understanding together it's just like oh okay and then they like go to the playground and hang out with, with Jonathan's son. And of course, you know, it's, it's not all, you know, sunny endings and, and everything's okay forever, but there's just that moment of understanding that there's acceptance, there's forgiveness, there's finding the common ground. Right. But realizing that, oh, right. Right. My mom, or my dad, or whoever is a person who you know feels all the things that I that I feel. And how do we get through this together? Yeah, I
2: love, it. I love that. I that makes me. Um, my first recommendation is different, but kind of along the same lines of like, how do we like just realizing? I guess seeing your parent as a person, or like seeing them outside of the context of being your parent, and. I want to recommend a short story collection called Milk Blood Heat by, and I, I'm worried about pronouncing this writer's name, Dunteal W. Moniz, or Moniz, it's M-O-N-I-Z, and she's a writer from Florida, which I like, and I, I really have enjoyed this collection, and there are several stories that have some, like, mother-daughter or, like, parent child dynamics like it's all I would say like I mean what is isn't? but like it's all the all the uh, stories are kind of like around different like intimate or familial relationships um and I would recommend the entire collection but there's one called the hearts of our enemies that's really focused on like a mother and daughter and the daughter in this story is like 17 or 18 um so it's like kind of prior to that big transition into like adulthood, but a lot of those growing pains are there in their relationships. And for various reasons, they're unhappy with each other and really disconnected and not communicating. The mother's name is Frankie and the daughter's name is Margo. I'm just going to read a paragraph, but that gives context. So Frankie has gone to pick Margot up from something at her high school. And I'll read just a paragraph. Her mother pulls up and Margot sees her first. She watches Frankie inside the car as she taps the steering wheel, adjusts the rear view so that she is peering at herself. From here, her mother looks young, could be any of the girls, making sure the face she's wearing is the one the world wants. And at this thought, Frankie suddenly breaks through, not just a mother, but a whole person, separate and full of awe. It dawns on Margot that, old as she is, it's her mother's first time on this earth too. Against her will, she softens. And I just think that's so beautiful. It's her mother's first time on this earth too. And it just has me thinking like, you know, none of us know what we're doing, right? Like we're all just doing our best. <laughs> like your parents have never, you know, and, le- and and I guess this is maybe, I wonder where Vicky's birth order is because like, I'm the youngest of four. So my parents had done it a couple times before it was their turn to like relate to me as an adult, but, um, but yeah, no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's trying their best. And I think like we have this idea that we really know, and sometimes this can be very frustrating as a child. And when you're going through those like, um, phases, those changes, like the feeling that your parents think they like know everything about you and you're like, you don't know all that about me, you know? Um, But the same is true of our parents. Like we really think we know them and like have got them pinned. And I think like just general good advice maybe is to approach all our relationships as if like every human being is just a mystery. Like there's something like humble about just being like, there's no way I could know. You know, like I know as much as I can about you, but there's no way I could know everything going on inside you. You know, so and like it kind of lets you off the hook in a in a like really rewarding way where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to extend you some. I keep saying grace, but like I'm just going to extend you like some leeway here because I don't know.
0: I love that. I hope we stick on that theme, this theme for a while.
2: All right, let's do it. At least
0: got two more. Go for it. um, That are in that theme. (laughs) Go for
2: it. Pack up Um, and get on the theme express. (laughs) God, just kill me. Just kill me.
0: (laughs) Well, I loved it. So maybe kill me too. (laughs) Um, I'm going to read a poem that again, uh, much like last episode, I um, assumed that either someone would pick it or someone would think, let's just let Gail read it.
2: I think Um, I maybe have the same poem as you, but
0: I imagine that you do. Go and for so it. I don't have to.
2: i don't yeah, have to do, it, do it.
0: Do um, it. I quote it about every third day, because um, mm-hmm. it's just my job. And we, I like, yeah. And I think it's really helped me in my own personal life, not just quoting life. Um, But one thing that, (laughs) one thing about
2: (laughs) my quoting life,
0: so it's like Anchorman and this poem. (laughs) I don't, actually don't quote, there's, I don't quote Anchorman in any way. Um, But one thing in my, I don't know how to explain this. Uh, My mom started teaching, um, so she's a math teacher and she started teaching October Sky uh, um, in the early 2000s and the whole thing is like coal mining boys make a rocket, send it to space. Honestly, I've never seen it, but she's really into this movie. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. I rented it on pay-per-view.
2: One? Yep. Yes. It is. Yes,
0: And for her, and this is I think probably similar with me and and uh, The Book of the Dead by Merla Rukeyser, but like it really helps you kind of understand the mindset of someone in the coal mining community, mm-hmm. um, which I remember her telling me it really helped her understand where my grandmother came from and like the way that she reacted to things, the way that she never said I love you. <laughs> like, not because she didn't. It was very like there was nothing about her that didn't give off all of the love in the world. But if you said like love you, man mama, she'd go, Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Get out of here. I don't like you. Um and that, like, understanding a little bit more about the coal mining. Anyway, just getting going back to like our West Virginia roots, I think would really like first, like, it it helped my mom kind of see a few things. Um, I'll get back to my grandparents with another suggestion, but um, it remind it, it just reminds me of like this familial, and I don't want to say like family trauma or like familial toxicity or whatever, but the fact that like you've been irreparably changed by your parents and they're and like then moving back they have been irreparably changed by their parents and those parents have been irreparably changed by their parents and so everyone's been a little bit traumatized by their parents um for good and for bad
2: and i'm um, just here trauma can be good i'm just here to throw in that your parents have been traumatized by you too it's just true
0: oh totally sure sure i've got oh, for sure <laughs> I've been an absolute treat. I have not cried that, once today. That wasn't a,
2: that wasn't a you, Gail. That was a you, everybody, <laughs> Vicky. True. a global you at all. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: but it is. I I feel like every time my my co-workers or a particular co-worker talks about um, their parent, and anytime anybody talks about parents, I quote this poem, and so I will quote it in full. By which some people might call it reading. read it. Read <laughs> it. I'll just read it, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll get back. Cause it is, it's very glib. It's very funny. It's very whatever, but I'll, I'll kind of go back to the thing that I'm, I, I actually think it's a, I, I take it very seriously. It's one of my favorite poems for that reason. Um, so this be the verse by Philip Larkin. They fuck you up your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the thoughts they had and add some extra just for you, but they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can, and don't have any kids yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really prescribe to that second si- last part. But um but I think I mean man hands misery on to man. Um but I really like it because it really does remind me of of the fact that like there's something actually that you and your parents do share, which is a continual re-traumatization of your past. I suppose. <laughs> um, but that, that just your whole life is to be fucked up. And that's, that's a thing that both of you share and that both of you will in turn do to each other. And that's just everyone's like, this be the verse. That's like, that's the thing that exists. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. It's like a, a truism, a, a religious truism, just be the verse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what God commanded. Um, <laughs> and anyway, I, th- I do think it's good, but actually I, I take it seriously because um, I don't know. It's Because it, it's not just saying like, isn't it so terrible that you get fucked up? It's just like they fuck you up. That's what they do. That's their job. Which for better or for worse, it's what it is. And I don't know. I really I enjoy it.
2: Yeah, that is not what I thought you were going to read. But okay, I'm, good. I'm glad you good. did. Good.
0: Have I quoted it enough around you guys? Yes. They fuck you up, your mom and dad? Yeah. Yes, you
2: have. I feel like that's all I do. It's all it's all she does.
0: <laughs> it's all I do. It's really annoying, actually.
2: Super tedious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um maybe my coworker will also agree. Um, what is what's
2: your poem, Caroline? Yeah, I have kind of two poems in the same vein. They're kind of they're in the same vein as each other, not in the same vein as, as Gail's poem. To uh, clarify, they're more like it's kind of maybe like a cheesy moment of like, like I think when you're in that feeling of like, oh God, why can't my parents see me as a grown up? Like, or like why can't I, you know? And 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 also, why can't I act like a grown up sometimes? Because like I don't know, Vicky doesn't say this, but like when you, I I just remember like living away and like staying with my parents when I would visit. And being like, why am I acting like a 16-year-old? Like, why are they treating me that way? And why am I acting that way? Um, (laughs) I mean, again, I I just yelled
0: at myself earlier, the mirror in my parents' house. Yeah. yeah. As one does. I I was back in. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was here.
2: (laughs) But I think another thing is like, this is me going back to the vein of like thinking about what your parents have gone through in, in parenting you and how like that completely obliterated their lives in some way. And like, so these are both kind of like in the vein of gratitude for parents or like noticing the works of parents, maybe once you are older. I'm getting some thumbs down in the, in the Zoom room, but I'm going to read them anyway. They're, so, parents. <laughs> they're two short poems and I'll maybe read both of them and then we can just talk about them in tandem. Um, So the first is very expected, I think, maybe by you ladies, but it's those winter Sundays by Robert Hayden, which always makes me tear up. Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue black cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, we can talk about that one maybe before I read the other one. It seems like no, there's some desire to let's never to. talk
1: about it. <laughs> I don't want to talk
0: about it. No, I, I teach it in my class every semester.
2: Yeah, I just I love I love how it's like it just kind of shows everything. Like it's like showing this gratitude, like showing what the father does, you know after after all this work, like the the care and gentleness with which he like. But then there's also the <laughs> I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, you know, like. It's not like this picture perfect. Like, oh, and my, my father was such a good. It's like no, it's complicated. Like all these relationships are so fucking complicated. And as a kid, you take so much for granted.
0: And often, and I don't know if this fits into this, but one thing that I that my students have picked up on in recent close readings is that word offices, <laughs> um, to where it's not just like because often it's a it's an appointed position. And it's a very lonely position also. Um, which I I think is so mean. I don't know, it means a lot. It's this yeah, we, th- this poem could be taken in so many ways, and I think it's like and it gives both uh, really full perspectives both to the child and to the, maybe not full perspective to the father, but at least gives a fa- yeah. like, a lot of possibilities of this father as well as the the kid.
2: I love that you say that, Gail. It makes me think when my kid was like three or four months, I had gone back to work and like Phil, my husband was traveling a lot again for work. So I was doing a lot of like, I mean, I'm like working full time and taking care of Juniper full time and it's a lot. And I remember like articulating to my sister that I've never been a person who really felt lonely because I really like my alone time. And like, I've, I've always been like very, I, I find a lot of solitude in like being on my own. But, like, for the first time, I was just feeling so incredibly lonely, but also like I could never be alone because I had this like baby always with me. And my sister was like, Well, because you're not like alone relaxing, you're alone doing a job, which is always hard. And I was like, Oh, that's right. It's a job, (laughs) you know, it's a job that you do all the time. So, yeah, offices really slaps. <laughs> Again, kill me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: You were appointed to this office, Caroline. You had no choice.
2: <laughs> and then the other poem in the same vein, and this is the one I really thought Gail was going to read, um, is by Ada Limon it's called The Raincoat, and it's in her book The Carrying. When the doctor suggested surgery and a brace for all my youngest years, my parents scrambled to take me to massage therapy, deep tissue work, osteopathy, and soon, my crooked spine unspooled a bit. I could breathe again and move more in a body unclouded by pain. My mom would tell me to sing songs to her the whole 45-minute drive to Middle 2 Rock Road and 40 minutes back from physical therapy. She'd say that even my voice sounded unfettered by my spine afterward, so I sang and sang because I thought she liked it. I never asked her what she gave up to drive me or how her day was before this chore. Today, at her age, I was driving myself home from yet another spine appointment, singing along to some maudlin but solid song on the radio, and I saw a mom take her raincoat off and give it to her young daughter when a storm took over the afternoon. My God, I thought, my whole life I've been under her raincoat, thinking it was somehow a marvel that I never got wet.
1: I love that poem.
2: Yeah, that's a doozy. So I guess, Vicki, think about, every you know, not like, oh, every time your parents are frustrating you, think about how much they've done for you. Like, that's not productive, but like, maybe try to think of like some specific things that you cherish, that your parents did for you, or even still do for you. And it may go a little ways towards having the patience with them as they come around. Because like we talked about, you're going to be working on seeing them as a whole person and acting like an adult around them so they can start to see you as a whole person. Not saying you don't already do that, but sometimes it can be challenging. Um, but maybe keeping in mind some tender thoughts towards them might help you have patience as they work on that.
0: I love that. Yeah, for May sure. I – May I read a related may I read it re, I don't know why I'm having a hard time saying this word. May I read a related tweet? Yes, um, by myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean by me. I will be reading it also by myself. <laughs> uh I have a tweet that I have retweeted several times cuz I think it's so funny. And it is that Ada Limon raincoat poem really gets me because I hold the umbrella over my dog all the time and not over myself, and he never knows.
2: It's <laughs> a good and tweet. It's so true. It's a solid tweet. It's a solid tweet. <laughs> it
0: is. Um, I do. No, I do love that poem. I,
1: um, I love it. It's so good. Yeah. So I also have a poem to share that goes a in – <laughs> A slightly, a slightly different direction, which is this idea of how you, you know, have to kind of fight to be your own person with your parents and, and not the child frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And it is a poem by the poet Chen Chen. So he has a whole book that's... <laughs> That kind of deals with a strange relationship um, with with his mother, which has a really wonderful title, um, which is, When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities, which is just really great. This poem is not from that book, (laughs) Um, but I also recommend that book. This poem is called, um, I Invite My Parents to a Dinner Party. And I'm just going to read it um, and then talk about it. I invite my parents to a dinner party. In the invitation, I tell them for the 17th time, the fourth in writing, that I am gay. In the invitation, I include a picture of my boyfriend and write, you've met him two times, but this time you will ask him things other than can you pass the whatever. You will ask him about him. You will enjoy dinner. You will be enjoyable. Please RSVP. They RSVP. They come. They sit at the table and ask my boyfriend the first of the conversation starters I slip them upon arrival. How is work going? I'm like the kid in Home Alone, orchestrating every movement of a proper family, as if a pair of scary yet deeply incompetent burglars is watching from the outside. My boyfriend responds in his chipper way. I pass my father a bowl of fish ball soup. So comforting, isn't it? My mother smiles her best, sitting with her son's boyfriend, who is a boy, smile. I smile my, hooray for doing a little better, smile. Everyone eats soup. Then my mother turns to me, whispers in Mandarin, is he coming with you for Thanksgiving? My good friend is, and she wouldn't like this. I'm like the kid in Home Alone, pulling on the string that makes my cardboard mother more motherly. Except she is not cardboard. She is already exceedingly my mother, waiting for my answer. While my father opens up a Boston Globe, when the invitation clearly stated, no security blankets. I'm like the kid in Home Alone, except the home is my apartment and I'm much older and not alone and not the one who needs to learn has to remind me what's in that recipe again. My boyfriend says to my mother as though they have always easily talked as though no one has told him many times what a nonlinear slapstick meets slasher flick meets psychological pit he is now co-starring in remind me he says to our
2: family that is a new poem to me and i loved it <laughs> i love like <laughs> it's so like it's got everything <laughs> it's really it's really funny and it's really like tender and wrenching and he just does such a good job of getting at the heart of how those difficult and embarrassing family interactions and I love just like from the beginning I I can't remember that it's like for the seventh time and the fourth time in writing or whatever but like the Mm -hmm. the like pleading quality of so much of the poem is like so it's so good yeah it's like
1: please (laughs) please treat me like I'm an adult and this is Mm -hmm. my identity a person Mm -hmm. yeah i am a person and i love i mean i love the repetition in that poem i i also i love the, the uh, comparisons to home alone and i find mm-hmm. i found it yeah. very surprising that move where mm-hmm. he talks about the cardboard cutout being his mother but mm-hmm. i just thought it's okay the- <laughs> this is not <laughs> this is not where i thought this was going um so it's surprising in that way, but I love the moment that you know towards the end where the conversation breaks over something really normal and 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 conversational, right? Where mm-hmm. his boyfriend who is just is there and is not part of this these family dynamics, right? So he's maybe able to see with this perspective of, "Oh, I'm just going to ask what's in this recipe <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's common ground and that's just a question what you would you do. ask anybody yeah. it doesn't have to right it doesn't have to be coded in oh this is my boyfriend's parents oh this is how I have to act you're right there's just like there's just so much coded language happening in this in this poem and then it that language is is where is where they can all meet each other as just people. And I mm-hmm. I just found that really moving. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So good. Um
0: I will jump in and give my big recommendation, which is a book I just finished. And I'm very lucky that I just finished it. And also it has to do with this theme (laughs) because it really did help me a lot, actually. (laughs) Um, A Spoiler alert, this is a big bummer book. It is not happy, (laughs) but it is also very good. (laughs) It is also... So hold on, just hold on. (laughs) It is like the point... It's crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Ah. But I'm, what I'm saying is, the premise is not at all happy. So mm-hmm. um, the premise is essentially uh, like we start with her literally. There's a chapter of her literally crying in H Mart in the beginning. Um, get kind of reacquainting herself with these um, like Korean foods that she kind of grew up on with her mother. Um, and but like we know from the beginning that her mother has died, and mm-hmm. um, that really she wasn't given she wasn't given this adulthood with her mother and she's kind of grieving a lot, of, a lot of that. Um, and what I want to, I, I, another kind of like caveat is like one of the reasons why I, I, like, I, I don't quite want to say like, or I don't want to have a bunch of recommendations that are like, you know, remember your parents could die at any time. You should, you should really take care, uh, to be nice to them. I don't want to do that at all because that's not helpful. Um, and I don't necessarily like, I don't, it's still, it's not helpful. Right. And I, I don't think that that's what this book is about at all. Um, even though that is on the surface, what it's about. (laughs) Um, but I feel like this book, um, so it, one of the things about it is that I, I kind of went through, uh, let me back up and explain the book a little bit. Um, so Michelle's honor is a mid, in her mid twenties, I think, um, and her mother dies um, of cancer within a few months. Mm. Like I think is diagnosed in like early June and dies by October. Mm. Um, and I learn you like learn this really really early on. Um, and the first chapter is her going through HMR and talking through all the stuff uh, about all the people around her and like what they're eating, and it's really beautiful. Um, and I remember being like, "Cool, so." I feel like we've kind of reached the end of this book. Like, is there any, is there much more that's left, right? Like the, the mom has died. She's in like her mom. So her mom is Korean and her dad is American. And um, she's kind of, so like a lot of this is about kind of losing that Korean side of her and, or trying to get it back um, and grieving the fact that like, she really didn't have a lot of ways to like get back in touch with her um, kind of Korean, really food ancestry, but ancestry in general. And a lot of this is her going back to um, Seoul and like, hanging out with her, uh, aunt and cousins and all this stuff, um, in different times. Um, and you know, them all dealing with grief together and not really knowing the same language equally. And that's really interesting. Um, but there's so much more in this book than just like this. I mean, a part of like half of it is kind of this long winding description of her mom's decline, but it's just this beautiful look into someone coming into adulthood. Um, cause she, and like wanting to be a musician, wanting to be an artist, wanting to be a writer and it kind of not working out for her. Um, and I think for me, the thing that really got me, um, in connecting with this and also thinking about my own kind of relationship with my parents is that like a lot of the book is about, um, her like teenagerhood Um, and how, uh, I mean, Her brain was a big black mush of clouds, which I think many of ours were when we were teenagers.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, And just real not fun, you know, not nice, um, treating parents like crap um, and just kind of feeling, you know, like we didn't want to be here. And, um, I think for any parent that sucks. Um, But then also when you're actually like actively rebelling against your parents or being mean to your parents or saying terrible things and then or at least provoking fights and and things like that with your parents, you are like – You're acting out, but you're also still being that kid that's still trying to help their – I don't know, get their shit together and get their brain developed, uh, for me anyway. And so a lot of the book is about that kind of difference between – or kind of almost like kind of trying to reconcile that past person um, with who this person is now as an adult and her trying to kind of like talk through what it's like to – like how is she going to treat her mom – like now that they're both adults, now that her mom is sick, like how is she gonna like try and help her, and how is she going to um, react to all of these like people coming over and, and doing these different things? And you know, trying how how am I going to show that I'm a different person? How am I gonna show that I'm not that crappy teenager who was super mean? Um, and how can I can I show her that I'm this responsible adult who's doing all these things and and um, you know it shows I don't know it's it, one thing though is that it talks about food 90% of the time, which is really wonderful. So I'm going to read one of my favorite little passages where she talks about her mom and what she ate because I feel like – and I guess this kind of connects you because it is a little bit of like this was my mother. This is what she loved. This is who she kind of was. And I think I loved the way that she saw her mother, capital S I guess, um, saw her mother in this way. And I felt like it was very adult. To th- I think I I just feel like this whole book is a her coming into her age and trying to talk about her mother. And, and even though she's, I feel like she's missed her mother as an adult and her mother's missing her as an adult. This book is kind of her being able to show that, I think. Um, so anyway, I'll read a little section. Um, and this is, I, it's actually on published on um, the cut, this little excerpt from the book. So if you want to just like check out what parts of the book are like, you can read this little section from the cut. Um, and the title is called What My Mother Ate. What I never seem to forget is what my mother ate. She was a woman of many usuals, half a patty melt on rye with a side of steak fries to share at the Terrace Cafe after a day of shopping, an unsweetened iced tea with half a packet of Splenda, which she would insist she'd never use on anything else. Minstroni, she'd order steamy hot, not steaming hot, with extra broth from the Olive Garden. On special occasions, half a dozen oysters on the half shell with champagne mignonette, mignonette and a steamy hot French onion soup from Jake's in Portland. She was maybe the only person in the world who'd request steamy hot fries from a McDonald's drive through in earnest. Jumpong, spicy seafood noodle soup with extra vegetables from Café Sol, which she always called Sol Café, transposing the syntax of her native tongue. She loved roasted chestnuts in the winter, though they gave her horrible gas. She liked salted peanuts with light beer. She drank two glasses of Chardonnay almost every day, but would get sick if she had a third. She ate spicy pickled peppers with pizza. At Mexican restaurants, she ordered finely chopped jalapenos on the side. She ordered dressings on the side. She hated cilantro, avocados, and bell peppers. She was allergic to celery. She rarely ate sweets, with the exception of the occasional pint of strawberry haagen a bag of tangerine jelly beans... One or two seized chocolate truffles around Christmas time and a blueberry cheesecake on her birthday. She rarely snacked or took breakfast. She had a salty hand. I remember these things clearly because that was how my mother loved you, not through white lies and constant verbal affirmation, but in subtle observations of what brought you joy, pocketed away to make you feel comforted and cared for without even realizing it. She remembered if you liked your stews with extra broth, if you were sensitive to spice, if you hated tomatoes, if you didn't eat seafood, If you had a large appetite, she remembered which banchan side dish you emptied first. So the next time you were over, it'd be set with a heaping double portion served alongside the various other preferences that made you, you. And I just, I feel like that description in itself is showing her kind of becoming this adult who sees her mother as an adult. And a lot of it is about like her, even her success after her mother died. And she's like, is it like, I I wish she feels like it's almost because her mother died that she had these successes, but that, she wishes she could share them with her because now she kind of feels like she wants to and can. And that's a lot of the grief in this book. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to recommend it to my own mother. Um, My own mother does not read any sad books. Um, (laughs) Very specifically, that is her one rule. Your mother once told me that
2: she doesn't like anything sad because she lived through the (laughs) seventies. It's
0: true. It's very true.
2: Um, That's...
0: (laughs) She says that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but I keep trying to say, actually, I think this might be the a book that you should read. So, um, I think that you should all read it, and also keep food on hand because this come this book makes you very
1: hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that I too. That accumulation of her mother's remembering things through through food. It's mm-hmm. just it's just really moving. I had something else to say but I. Forgot. it's moving well <laughs> it's like it's moving both in
0: what her mother does but then also in all of these little things that she's noticing about her mother and I just like I feel like this like in a good way third wheel that's like watching both of them notice tiny 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 things that I wouldn't notice if that makes sense
1: mm-hmm. yeah but they're tiny yeah. things that make up a person and mm-hmm.
2: and they're those just- things that like are so familiar to you that you barely even take notice till you stop to think about them you know like i think Mm -hmm. i think we could all like make lists like this about the people we love you know like the way they order the way you know like but you you don't unless it's an irritation you don't pay attention (laughs) you know like unless someone does something annoying sometimes
1: it's yeah and that idea too that how sad it is right that that she's making this list because of, out of out of grief, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that looking back is is what's anyway. You said it better.
0: <laughs> no, I, it's it's such a. I really recommend it to you guys too. It's it takes wild rides to all these different places um, too, because part part of me was like, oh no, am I just going to read a whole book about? Um, And I'm being very honest, I guess. Maybe I shouldn't be this honest, but I was like, oh, am I – in? how much of a ride am I in for, you know? Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And this book takes – I mean, there's so many twists and turns (laughs) too, so. I have a recommendation a little bit in that same vein, and I wasn't so much thinking about like – I was thinking about how like, you know, the best case scenario is that your parents don't die young, right? So the best case scenario is that at some point you then have to take care of them. So really, there's, like, this time in the middle where basically what I want to say, Vicky, is, like, it is hard to get to the point of having this, like, adult relationship where you kind of see each other as equal. But it's so worth it because it's just this, like, pocket of time that won't last. Like, it's this golden period where, like, not (laughs) – So I'm on the other side of this where my father has dementia. So it's very real to me to, you know, really have to be caring for him. And he's not, in many ways, he's not who he was my whole life. Um, But there was like this really great span of time where I didn't need my dad to take care of me. My dad didn't need me to take care of him. And we just got to really enjoy, you know, really liking each other and hanging out and thinking each other was really funny and, you know, just having, having that relationship. So it's worth it to get there, even though it's hard work, it's like, it will be once you get to the other side, this really beautiful and enduring relationship um, you, ha- that's like a guarantee. <laughs> so on that rec- or on that note, I was thinking about, um, people who kind of write about like ka- that period of time. Um, and it made me think of the essayist Damon Young, who I'm going to recommend his book uh, what doesn't kill you makes you blacker. It's not all about this, but he does he his his mother has passed away, and he writes a lot about his father and his relationship with his father, and how his relationship with his father has actually grown quite a bit since his mother's passing that like he was closer to his mother before she died, and that you know now that what they have is each other, their relationship has really bloomed. I don't actually have the book on hand. So uh, he, he writes about a lot of things though, like he writes about politics and pop culture. And so it's not all about this, but it's something that comes up as a theme often in his writing. And he's also, he publishes with The Root and with Washington Post. Um, he's like a frequent contributor. So I'm going to read a, a recent, I'm uh, not the whole thing, but I'm going to read from a recent Washington Post article about his dad that's titled Meet My Dad, The Grim Reaper's Publicist. And let me see, I'm kind of starting in the middle here, but he's talking, his father's called him and he's kind of like recounting how their phone call starts. And he goes, and then the call will take a turn to something like this. So do you remember Woody Jenkins? I don't think so. Oh, yes, you do. You met him at the reunion in 2006. He had that peg leg since he fell off that tractor in 82, which is why we call him Woody. His real name is Bobo. I used to think that was a nickname because we all called his daddy Big Bo, but Bobo's on his birth certificate. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's a shame about the peg leg, too, because young Bobo could jump out the gym. Was only five, six, but could slam dunk a grapefruit. Why was he dunking grapefruit, Dad? He couldn't palm a basketball. His hands were so small we used to call him T-Rex. <laughs> I used to watch him and his little brother, Stankbo, jumping over the barbed wire fence next to the VFW. I thought they were just truants, but sometimes crime pays. Sorry, Dad, I don't remember him. Well, he died yesterday. Got electrocuted by a tuning fork. They said when they found his body, he smelled like movie popcorn. That's too bad. All right, good night. Sometimes the conversation is about something awful he just read. Hey, Day. Hey, Dad. Did you hear about that man who got mauled by those pigeons in Kalamazoo? No, Dad, I did not. They chewed his whole face off and started flying around with it. Can you imagine a pigeon with a human's face? Terrifying. Biblical. Okie dokie. Good night. Good night, Dad. Other times he throws a knuckleball. Hey day, you remember Kim Matthews, right? Works up at Slippery Rock. We call her black Kathy. Cause she looks just like Kathy Bates, but black. I do. I actually do remember her. Wait. Oh no. Did she die? No, you had me going for a second. She was at the Apple store last weekend and her right elbow just fell clean off her body. Strangest thing. Walked in the store with two elbows left with one elbow and a new iPhone. Anyway, just called to tell you that. Take it slow. Um, so that's just a, brief section. It's it's not a very long article, but that's just a section from the middle. But he just kind of like has this really, obviously humorous, but like really the way that he writes about his dad, he makes jokes. He kind of like embellishes the edges so that he's like a this kind of larger than life character in some ways. But you just get at the everydayness of their relationship, I guess. The way that they are connected to each other probably more during this period in their life as just someone you catch up with on the phone you know like not not in the way that like you are connected by obligation or by need someone needing the support but just that like you're a person i'm going to call and tell this thing to so i would recommend just kind of Damon Young's rating in general, but his book, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker. I love that. And I that is that. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time I was thinking, that is my mother. I'm like, wow, the Grim Reaper has multiple publicists. I you know. Walked in with two elbows, <laughs> walked out with one elbow and an iPhone it's my made favorite. me laugh so hard. <laughs> so I, I actually, I actually, there's a tweet that, uh, I just tried looking for the one that uh, I was thinking of, and I'm not sure if this is it, although this one's very funny, and it does have to do with being an adult around your parents. Um, Now comes that special time of adult Christmas, where it's just you and your mom in the kitchen, and she tells you the saddest thing you've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So she you remember go, this, sh- this, and this? Well, she died. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, dying, and it's so true. Mm-hmm.
1: So good. Mm. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, are you next? Yeah, so I have a novel to recommend. There were a bunch that I wrote down as being related to this this topic, Vicki. But the one I want to recommend is just... It's one of the best books I've read in maybe ever, but definitely in the past, in the past few years. Um, It's called The Nyx by Nathan Hill. And essentially the main character, Samuel has not seen his mother since she walked out when he was a kid, but he then as an adult one day sees her on the news throwing rocks at a presidential candidate and suddenly his mother re-enters his life as this militant radical, but Samuel does not know what has happened to his mother. So that's kind of how the book sets out and it goes in so many different directions. It's a really, really funny, sarcastic book, but it's also incredibly moving And part of this is that Samuel is kind of a stalled writer. He has been promising his editor a book for a really long time and essentially decides to capitalize on his mother's re-entry into his life by writing a tell-all biography. But that then sets him on the journey of, you know, finding his mother again, finding out what happens to her, and then the book sort of goes back and tells her story and it just leads into these places that you wouldn't think it would go and it it ties back to this idea of right that your parents are are human beings they're people with with a past and it's Samuel is is grappling with this and trying to sort of, you know, excavate her her story from her and starts to kind of see his mother as this. It leads Samuel to just rethink everything he ever knew about his mother, that she has this this epic story that he that he never knew that brings understanding to their relationship as as adults, and it's just a really fantastic book. Um, but I just I want to read this this quote that that kind of ties back to something that that Caroline said early on about not trying to see people through a particular lens, just seeing them as as who they are. So this is here's a, this is an excerpt. Whereas, if you choose to see people as puzzles, and if you see yourself as a puzzle, then you will be constantly delighted. Because eventually, if you dig deep enough Mm. into anybody, if you really look under the hood of someone's life, you will find something familiar. This is more work, of course, than believing they are enemies. Understanding is always harder than plain hatred, but it expands your life. You will feel
2: less alone. I love that recommendation, Anne, and I'm like, I'm pretty surprised at myself that I didn't think about this book in the context of this question because I too, like, re- well, on your recommendation, read it in the past year. And there's so much in this book that is, like, funny and then also completely horrifying and heart-wrenching like this it's i remember some of the passages where and now i can't remember whose perspective they're in samuel's or his mother's but they're when he is a child because he like he's a very emotional child to the point where like anything that can set him off crying and she's trying to like do anything to just keep him from like breaking down. And like, I know at some point, God, I'm not going to remember because I'm trying to like think of this on my toes, but at some point she's trying to like draw his attention to like the tree and like, oh, pay attention to this. But like even that, like there seems to be like a choice embedded for him and like Uh he can't handle it. So he cries. Um, And like there are moments where like you understand how frustrating this child would be to her in some ways, but then you also understand like how heartbreaking his mother's treatment of his is like you just like you can see both sides of the relationship like in the moment in like visceral detail and it's so yeah ugh, it's so well done
1: yeah and it's so and because the book is so expansive you see from from beginning to end right you see that mm-hmm. that dynamic and then you see that dynamic change you get
2: mm-hmm
1: both sides of the story, and it changes mm-hmm. everything that they think about each other, and then you, as the reader, think about each of these characters, which is just something that few novels can do can do so well. But yeah, um, I really recommend the Knicks, Vicky.
0: Mm-hmm. I keep um, getting in on. The library hold and then it holds and then it goes away because I'm not done. I'll never be done with this last Neapolitan novel.
1: <laughs> Gail, do you want me to mail it to you? Yeah, yes. I you have am. it. I can just mail that it to the you. the most serious
0: query anyone has ever queried me. <laughs> Anne. I would love that. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. I borrowed it from my mom, but I am sure that she would love nothing more than for me to send it to you. Wow.
2: I feel Thanks, like Margie. that's assuming – I think you should check with her though. Yeah. That's no. yeah, assuming that you to know a lot about mom. your mom.
0: Yeah. You guys both have an adult relationship now. You should probably check.
1: <laughs> Listen, when I, go I want home, an adult I... relationship
2: with my parents.
1: And then Caroline. I was just going to say, my mom lets me just kind of pick books from her bookshelves because she just buys all the books and sorts them by, she has so many books that she sorts them by books that she's read and then books she hasn't read yet, which is which is like a whole section of the basement. Anyway, <laughs> my mom's running like her own little lending library and it's great. And I will send you the NYX because... She would want you to read it, it from her personal collection. Thanks, Margie, and Anne. Also, you're both adults.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I want to have a, an adult relationship with my parents, but I also want to open their fridge and take anything out when I'm over there. You know, like yeah. that. That. But also, Wednesday. I want
0: I want people to come in my house and do that to me.
2: Yeah. They won't um,
0: find anything, but I really want them to yeah, see. Wow, Gail, these grapes have been in here for four months.
2: <laughs> My dad always says when we like, you know, if, if I like open the, the fridge or the pantry, he always goes, what are you doing? Shopping? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just, just get in the lay of the land. <laughs> yeah. I'm not hungry yet, but I might get hungry, so. <laughs>
0: you never know. I used to joke that my parents had nothing in their in their cabinets but jerk seasoning. Because they they really like amassed a large <laughs> amount of like condiments and seasonings. Oh but yeah? like got just like for now that we have like they have grandkids, so like they have they finally have the foods that I'm looking for. Um, but like I feel like my whole <laughs> life it was just like I'd open it up and I'd be like, there's, just there's nothing but
2: jerk seasoning. <laughs> Once, when my parents moved and we went through their stuff, my mom had eleven different mustards. <laughs> that is rough. I mean, they were all different mustards. You know, like this one. Like, and if
0: you like mustard, that's a thing. Yeah,
2: like this yeah. is a caramelized I onion don't... mustard. Mm-hmm. Wow, Ooh, that mustard good. for good. I don't right? even like mustard, and
0: that sounds good. Fucking
2: love mustards. Yeah.
0: <sighs> I just don't. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Segue into this if that's okay. Do it. I I have a lot of thoughts. Um, first of all, I asked my mother just point blank in the middle of a conversation uh at dinner tonight. I was like, what made you have an adult relationship with your parents? Um, she was like, What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I had to explain. Um, but I, I've been thinking a lot, like one of the things I was thinking about first is that um I don't say I don't want to say this is a relatively new phenomena, but I've just been thinking a lot about how like in olden times and also in non-western cultures, I would say a lot too. Um you didn't have to have like you didn't have to ha- like fight with the like, I mean I'm sure you did. I'm not sure. I'm not saying you didn't. But like there's not so much of this like I need to separate my space, I need to find my own house, I'm going to go and then come back and then do this. A lot of time like I'm thinking of like puritan families they all just freaking live in the same house for the, all, until they all died, you know? And they all just – they sometimes even lived in the same bedroom. Um, they, like, lived – if they did, they lived in the house right, just right next door, you know? Um, they would still eat breakfast in the same, like, kitchen every morning, right? Um, and then I was thinking – so this is where I'm, I'm getting to, like, thinking about little women um, <laughs> and how everyone got older, except for Beth. Um, and, uh, Beth was always a child. Um, but, like, everybody, like, I'm thinking of, like, Meg, and even Joe, and, and, of course, like, I mean, Marmy's the freaking best, and so she always saw Joe as an adult and independent on her own, but, um, but, like, Meg and John, when they got married, like, they didn't, like, in the book, she, like, helps them set up house and all this stuff, and there's, like, this whole God, God God-awful long chapter of setting up the house. Um, but, I feel like in general, like that, that's just, I don't want to say that's how things were, but like, I feel like often we have this, like this sense of separation between us. I don't like, I think, I don't want to say it's a new concept, but it's definitely, I feel like that separation, especially in like places where we don't have the ability to be in another house or have the ability to like, just go off and spread our wings and then come back or whatever. Um, were like, Meg and John just kind of lived either in the same house with all of their babies. They were intimate. Eyebrows are up. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, right? Um, in the same house as their house. I mean, as their parents. <laughs> in the same house as their house. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and then I I kind of was thinking all of, about all of this. I was thinking about like little women. I was thinking about, I don't know, like... Little House in the Prairie. All of, I don't know. Those like really stereotypical historical things. Cause that's, I mean, giving myself five minutes to really think about this. I'm thinking about the most surface level things that exist, but I'm also thinking about like Puritan colonial, like and in Europe, when you had one house, like I'm thinking about my, like what I know about, you know, history in the middle ages, right? Like I'm thinking about all these things where like, sometimes you just had a kid and then they grew up and then they, they got married and they stayed in your house. And that's just what happened. And and then, so then that's leading me to, I promise I'm having a thought with this. Um, so I'm pointing this kid right here. Um, So then that made me kind of think about like, it's not, it, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people might be like, well, it's the people who try, kids just want to be kids these days, just never want to grow up. Um, But I think a lot, this is where I'm getting to my point, which is that it's, as Caroline mentioned earlier, it's in it, the power dynamic is always on the side of the parents. You can do whatever you want, and it is only going to be the parents who are going to make it completely whole and Of course, then, if they can't if they' if they won't or if there's some problems there, then you can only do what you can um But I was thinking about like that that seems to be a choice of the parent. On whether they're able to to treat that kid as the kid as like an adult who's also living in their house with their husband and their two twin babies. And so then that made me think, and this is so it made me think about my my relationship with my grandparents and my, my parents' relationship with her parents, my grandparents. Um and I kind of was like, she was like, I don't I just don't know. I think my parents always kind of treated me like an adult. And I kind of was like, Yeah, I think Um, this is one of the things I really love. So my grandparents, I, you know, I got to spend a little bit more time with my grandmother, but, um, I would say in general, um, I hate people who had grandparents when they were adults, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, they died quite early for me. Um, and, uh, and anyway, I really, my grandparents were my mother's parents. I mean, both of my parents' parents were the best, but in this conversation, I was remembering talking with my mother's parents, my mom and granddaddy. And I was just, and I've said this to my mom a couple of times, but I was, I've just been thinking a lot about how I was a stupid kid babbling all the time, like I'm doing right now. And I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. blah. Molly from American Girl Dolls was like, blah, blah, blah. And then I can't believe it was, you know, blah, 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 little house in the prairie or whatever shit I was into. and But like, my Mama and granddaddy. I want to point,
2: like, point out that you're into the same shit now. <laughs> you're like, whatever oh, shit I was absolutely. into. Like, little house, which I just you brought know. up. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> little house, which I just watched an episode of today. Um, but like, I was just being a little stupid idiot and my grandparents lived through like the flippin' like great depression the war like every my I mean just coal mining my grandmother did not mine coal but li- living there must be very dope just being alive during that time seems pretty terrible um but they went through so many serious things and then they had a little gale just being like ah! and my grandparents were just like I I have never Actually, and also Anne of Green Gables. This I think this connects to. So I didn't even say my first recommendation. So hold on. <laughs> so my grandparents, but no matter how much I babbled and how stupid I was and how childish I was, there was never a moment that my grandparents talked to me like I was a child. And I had never felt so, like, seen and heard and, like, cared for. in this like, really, really, like, I don't know, like, quiet, way it was just like I mean I'd be just going again blah, blah and they'd just be like really so what do you think about like <laughs> Tell what me more about, about this if you ever thought about this or like well yeah <laughs> like incredibly as if I was stating the state of the nation like and and I that's I, I'm talking to my mom about that like tonight too and she's just like yeah that's they they just treated they listened to everybody and they treated everybody like they're like this and then what I'm saying is you should have my grandparents, um, but <laughs> also that it really is in the – it's like in that responsibility of of the person in the higher um, power structure to make that decision, um, to treat whoever it is like an adult. And so um, my main recommendation here is kind of silly, and you don't really have to take it here, but um, it's to kill a mockingbird. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Because of the way Gregory Peck, the father um, – <laughs> mr mockingbird i think this is his name. um atticus finch. the way it throughout atticus finch no mr mockingbird um
2: he no, the killed? way that
0: throughout yes no the whole book is just planning it <laughs> to kill him
2: anyway we, can we have a moment for how good gregory peck looks in that movie
0: um, I have many moments multiple times in the day. <laughs> okay, don't overshare. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just the other day I was like, Mom, remember Gregory Peck? <laughs> she was like, yeah. Anyway, it was funny. <laughs> I think about it a
2: lot. Anyway. <laughs> Gail's been in that shower for a while. It's a, it's a Gregory Peck moment. <laughs> Look, we were just talking about Gregory Peck.
1: Sorry, oh Mr. God. Mockingbird. Um, it's just the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but the way that throughout
0: the book slash movie, Mr. Mockingbird, Atticus Finch, um, never stopped talking to Scout like she was not yeah. an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I always um, really love that. Oh well, sure. But I'm am ta- <laughs> thinking about Gregory Peck. <laughs> <laughs> um. And, and that also reminds me of and I, I don't know Anne of Green Gables, so I don't know if anybody um, I mean, I's like I know Avonlea because I was a big Disney channel fan when I was a young child. but um there's I, I don't remember oh, you know what I'm just take it out because I don't fucking know who these people are. Um, Aunt <laughs> Norbit <laughs> Hold on. Hold on, I'll do it real quick. Hold on. Anne of Green Gables, Aunt
2: Norbit. Mm. <laughs> Norbit.
0: <laughs> You know what? Fuck it. I don't even care. You know, put this in. So, and also, Anne, so Anne of Green Gable, she's a fucking orphan, right? <laughs> Never mind. I think she has, like, grandparents and they do the same thing. I don't know. Gail's not read Anne also, of Green Gables.
1: <laughs> to be really
0: clear, I don't know anything about Anne of Green Gables. I, I just realized it. But I straight
2: up watched that movie, like, five times. Vicky... Gail can't recommend Anne Cables because she doesn't know
0: what it's about. But I will, but Anne's older. I think they're like a grant, like the aunt and the uncle or grandparents or something. But I watched that movie one time and I almost got very <laughs> teared up, which means that I cried because um, that's how I am. And because of how they treated her, which was like she was an adult. And anyway, so
1: to
2: recap, just, Vicky, just
0: forget that whole
1: thing.
2: To recap, Anne is maybe a fucking orphan. <laughs> There's some adult characters. They made Gail cry once. Maybe no, named Norbert. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna shut up. But it is in the power of the older people to make that decision. And if they can't, <laughs> call on Norbit. Norbert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I let is... somebody go. <laughs> but there's also there's that level of of acceptance, right? And it doesn't it doesn't always have to be forgiveness, right? It can just be yeah acceptance.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Radical acceptance, and that's... with
2: any relationship, yeah. it's just like understanding who the other person is. And knowing that that doesn't have anything to do with you, usually. (laughs) So I've got one last recommendation. I thought it was going to be kind of an out in left field recommendation, but it dovetails quite nicely with... (laughs) Gail's last recommendation, which is um I don't I don't know how. I know. Well not the tail end, let's be honest. That went off the rails. But if I if I rewind in my mind I can make a connection.
0: That's so when I was starting to say I'll, some go,
2: I'll go right back to Mr. Mockingbird and then There you go. Um so I actually, this is maybe a little bit of a premature recommendation because it's a podcast I just started. I've only listened to the first episode, but I feel confident about it. Um, And it's a a podcast called Finding Rafi. And it's the second season. So there is a a podcast called Finding Fred, which I haven't actually listened to yet, but it's all about Fred Rogers. Um, And then the second season, Finding Rafi, is all about Rafi, the children's musician, like folk musician. Um, And... I from what I understand it, it, you know, it has extensive interviews with Rafi and also with other people who were his collaborators. Like it's about like why musically he connects with kids, but also kind of his philosophy about connecting with children. And the podcast host is comedian Chris Garcia, who he he talks about like being a new father. I think like our kids are probably like a month apart. Um, like had a kid during the pandemic, has been kind of adjusting to being a new parent. And he didn't know Rafi because he's Cuban. He didn't grow up listening to Rafi. His parents were both from Cuba and he listened to mostly like Spanish music growing up, Um, Spanish language music, not like Spanish from Spain. Um, And But his wife was into Rafi and they kind of like rediscovered Rafi and his daughter really loves Rafi. And so it's become this like important thing in his life But when he's interviewing Rafi in the first episode, Rafi's talking about respect and about how like his big philosophy is like having respect for children. And Chris thinks this is like, he wants to talk to his mom. So his father's passed away, but he wants to talk to his mom about this. And he thinks that like his mom who is a little old school is going to be like respect. Why would I respect a child basically? But the conversation they have really surprises him because he's like she says like oh you know she kind of gets into talking about her relationship with her own parents and then how she wanted to treat him and then she comes up she comes down to saying something like I'm paraphrasing but like I respected you by always knowing like where you were like and accepting where you were and what you were ready for and he's really surprised to like find that he knows that's true in their relationship and that like his mom had had a philosophy of like how to respect children. But I just think they talk about how that's going to be a common theme in the episode. And I think like just the nature of the, the topic, there's a lot about relationships between parents and children. And I think, um, I think Rafi has like the most calming voice ever uh, speaking and singing. And just the first episode made me really happy. So I would recommend it, Vicky. I think it could be a nice kind of, way forward in understanding that mutual respect between you and your parents when you were younger and also now as you move forward. I love that. Yeah.
0: I really did not listen to much Rafi as, as a child.
2: I really did. I listen to this. I I listened did. to a lot of Rafi. Yeah. And I also, so my- I was a
0: Sharon, Lois, and Bram
2: girl. <laughs> when my nephew, who is now seven, when he was like maybe three, four or five. um, I took him to see Rafi and it was, Rafi's got it fucking made guys. His show is an hour. (laughs) He's a rock star. Like people, like these kids, my nephew did not understand the concept of a concert. So when we got there and he saw like a stage and a chair and a guitar, he looked at my sister and I who took him and went, Rafi is gonna be right there like his his experience was like movie like I think he thought he was gonna see like Rafi on a screen and like that sounded cool but like the notion that Rafi would be in the room he was like about to shit himself he was so excited these kids were like dancing in the aisles like laughing and like Rafi fucking starts at one wraps up by two his voice sounds as good as it did at age 30 even though he's like in his 70s because like you don't have to live hard to be Rafi you know it's Rafi's got it made. <laughs> um God, I would so, love to go yeah. to
1: just like a regular concert from like one to two PM now instead it was of
2: amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Let's normalize. I'd that. like a
0: good 10 AM concert. <laughs>
2: A brunch because show. To, it,
0: it's like my, it's my, it's my high time. Like it is, it's where I'm at my most energetic. So it's <laughs> solid. All right. Well, I, I love this. I love where we went.
2: Yeah.
0: I also, we need to take out all the Anna Green Gable stuff. Cause I just looked it up and they are, there's nothing. I said nothing, right? They, she was accidentally delivered to this old sibling couple they're a couple but they're also siblings and they're old I don't know we're keeping every piece of it
2: (laughs) I just want to say as Rafi would say that all I really need is a song in my heart food in my belly and love in my family
1: (laughs) I think this is where we leave you Vicky
2: I think so and
1: now we're friends love you Vicky Yay. yay good luck Vicky yeah
2: best of luck
0: now that we're friends was recorded in front of a live audience made up entirely of our pets your hosts and three new friends are caroline cabrera ann holmes and gail thompson your fourth new friend is our producer lee San. just learned who rafi is ramos our theme music is provided by gail thompson me now that we're friends is an O miami production if you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at omiami.org. you can also follow us on facebook at now that we're friends and on twitter and instagram at ntwf podcast guys
2: who the hell is rafi